I think you all know, or most of you know, I teach two times a week, two evenings a week. I teach Thursday and I teach um, Saturday. And I, I do the same talk each time because it's different folks who come. And uh, the other day, this week, I was having the hardest time trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about. I could not come up with a topic for the life of me. A lot of times I'll hear something and it'll spark something or uh, whatever, or I'm interested in a particular thing I've read. Um, and so I just was like at a total loss. And um, it's... Uh, so what I did is I do what I tend to do. Sometimes when I have a, 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 a problem um, thinking up a topic, as I go to Dharma Seed. So I'm not sure if you all know what Dharma Seed is. It's a website that has a lot of Dharma talks. It's teachings from teachers all over the world, a lot from Spirit Rock or IMS or other teachers. And they have retreats like so sometimes there's the whole retreat that the Dharma talks and the meditations from retreats and so what I did is I looked at what the Dharma talk topics were for the last month that's what I'll do I'll go in and I'll scroll the topics and see if I get any ideas and so I, I wrote down a couple of them because I thought they were interesting and um, across the great divide Dharma and healing that was by James Barra's uh, removing distractions, why we practice, that was Aya Santa Chitta. Standing in front of the other, beyond divisiveness or divisiveness, that was um, uh, Brian Lesage. Uncon the unconditioned supports the conditioned, that was Ajahn Suchito, that sounded like a monastic. Um, let letting go of knowing, that's another James Barras. And meta to the whole world. That was uh, Nathan Glide. And then, I, and then I thought about the topics that I've taught over the last month: breaking free of mental habits, and equanimity, and spaciousness, and um, uh, uh, what else was it? Um, soft front. Yes, strong back, soft front. A lot of teaching around equanimity. And what came up for me is. I realized that a lot of these talks and a lot of the talks I've given are really how to move through the chaos that we're walking through right now. There's a lot of chaos right now. This last week, at least for me, has been has felt especially chaotic. Not that my life is chaotic, but there's been a lot of internal chaos. And these talks, these are the last few weeks of talks at Spirit Rock. A lot of it sounds like that's what's happening. You know, standing in front of the other beyond divisiveness and across the great divide, Dharma and healing. And this, a lot of the places I've been is in equanimity and balance and holding the difficult moments. Um, and this week I also listened to... Uh, a podcast and a half from Brene Brown, who's one of my favorites. I think I've, I've mentioned her um, an ungodly amount of times in my talks because she really, I really resonate with her. And she's just so um, right on in so much of what she says. And she did one talk. She usually interviews someone on her podcast, but she was talking about shame and accountability and how a lot of the, you know, what shame is and what shame isn't and how we show up and be accountable. And and then she had this other podcast where she was answering questions that people um, asked. And 
um, she was talking about fear. And I realized that I had been gripped by a bunch of fear this week. I was very good around the election of not not going into social media and not um, not uh, listening to the news. And I felt actually I felt very proud of myself um, because I could feel the, the the anxiety start up. And then if I when I backed away, it was like gone. But starting last week when there's all this talk about the coup and watching all this stuff that's going on, the anxiety just kind of moved in. And then I moved into watching the news and social media on my phone, on my computer, everything. And I'm back and forth. And I'm, and I, it's that I talked about death by a thousand paper cuts and that's what I was doing to myself. It's like, is there anything new? What, what did somebody say in the last 20 minutes? Okay. I can go a whole hour without checking something. Can I, and recognizing that it, um, lost in that that fear, that needing to know. I was looking for some kind of final um, determination that it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. And then I looked at just I just saw those you know those couple of those um, topics from the talk, letting go of knowing, and I was craving for knowing. Because I was uncomfortable with the sensations that were going on. You know, this, and Brene Brown talks about fear as we, we get into this place of scarcity and not enough and not going to have what I need or lose something I have. And it's all fantasy. It's all fantasy. No, nobody knows for sure. I mean, we look, I look back on all the predictions that I've heard over the year, over the years, over the, you know, decades, and it's all made up. You have two people, two experts, and they say different things, and it's like, well, who's right? Ah. Um, and, you know, and then when you look for confirmation bias, you find things that agree with what you believe to make you feel better, which is which is a big problem, too. Um, that's, that's kind of neuroscience says that we're, we have predilection to that. Of course, we want, it makes us feel better if we, if we find people who agree with us. And um, so the problem is, and Brene Brown says this, and the Buddha says this, and teachers over the last 2,600 years have said this, is we don't know how to be in pain and uncertainty. We want security. You know, that's how um, uh, this fun, that's like fundamentalism really focuses on this. If if you can give she says, if you can give somebody um, a certainty, give someone something to blame and certainty about it, then there's this like, ah, oh, it's their fault. And I know it. Then I feel secure. And if we just get rid of you or that or this, then it'll be OK. And you see that so often these days. Um, she says, if you listen to anybody on the news, they'll tell you, here's what's happening, why you should be afraid, and who to blame. And if you think about it, it's like, it's so true. And this is, this is what, you know, this is the fifth precept that how Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it. Watch what you consume. So the thing lodges in. So I, I have taken birth as a person who's really concerned about this. Not saying I shouldn't be concerned, but watching that balance saying, okay, I'm, I'm paying attention. I'm concerned, but getting sucked into this addiction or craving for certainty, craving for knowing, craving for 
wanting it to be a certain way instead of recognizing that there's no way of knowing all we have is right now and what can I do from this step forward um, learn one more time how to be in the pain and the uncertainty and she was interesting because she's a researcher and she's Brown is a researcher and she said she started her research before 9-11 not too far before 9-11 and she said she has seen a shift in the country from 9-11 to this falling into this world of fear and scarcity and lack and if we're not paying attention we're going to fall into it too so this practice is really about pulling back from that uh, to begin to build capacity to move through the world Oh, I forgot to mention one other one other thing. I listened to I went I did a uh, attended a talk Bhikkhu Bodhi did on Monday night. And for those of you who don't know, Bhikkhu Bodhi is a uh, a monk in the Thai forest tradition. Very esteemed, very wise. He's translated much of the Pali Canon, the most recent translations of the Pali Canon. He wrote the Noble Eightfold Path, which is a really excellent book on the Eightfold Path. So he did a talk on Monday night, which I went to, and his topic was economic and racial dysfunction and climate crisis so you know it's a thing <laughs> you think you're going to go hear about the abhidhamma or the Vasudhimaga or or some suttas but no so because it's a really about this practice is not about locking yourself away in a monastery and and um uh just practicing that's part of it I mean we have to we have to practice we have to build this capacity but it's also about being in the world and that's his story is really interesting he was in Sri Lanka for many many years he's from New York but he spent decades in Sri Lanka and that's I think when he did a lot of the translations of the of the suttas and then he came back to the states in the 90s and he said nobody's doing anything about anything and he said you have to take that next step into seeing suffering and working towards ending suffering which is why he does all these talks and he started a couple of nonprofits to alleviate suffering where he sees it needs to be uh, helped and so um, this practice is to recognize that we are of the world all of us are lay folk here we're not we're not sitting in our monastery so how do we hold this chaos of today how do we move through it um, this place of scarcity this place of fear this this need to have an answer this need to know and recognize that there is no knowing there is no knowing there's only the experience of this moment and so then I actually listened to a um, a talk by Aaron J. Sofer, who's a lovely guy. I uh, got to be on a board of directors with him for a while, and um, he's written a book on nonviolent communication. But he's a he's a Dharma teacher, and he talked about again. He he did he talked about building capacity, um, so we can move through the world. So we can move through this time of of uncer political uncertainty, and we can move through this time of of the COVID, um, COVID spike and, you know, moving through the holidays, dealing with a pandemic and how do we, how do we work with that and, and all the suffering that's been caused because of this chaos that we've been sitting in for the last, you know, eight months or longer. So he talks about it through the Eightfold Path and, you know, it just all comes back to that teaching, that basic, basic teaching of, 
samadhi, which is, um, you know, concentration or being being right here, one pointedness and mindfulness and effort and really being able to sit, which is what we practice. It's practicing. We practice mindfulness. Not it's not an end in itself. It's a way to be stable, to cultivate um, uh, uh the equanimity, that ability to be present and, and um, that ability to uh, be balanced and not be blown over by everything that's happening. I don't need to have the news tell me what I want to hear in order to be okay. I can hear the difficulties. I can hear the things I don't want to hear and, and deal with the emotions because I have this ability to be present. I have this ability to, to be balanced. Um, and I've talked enough about equanimity over the last month that I, I think you've probably heard it. And um, so that's, 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 don't bite me. There's a cat biting me. Because <laughs> he's hungry. <laughs> so, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Don't bite me. His nickname is Mr. Bitey. Um, anyway, um, bum. So samadhi is this way of building concentration and steadiness, steadfastness. So that that one section of the of the eightfold path, which is effort, really bringing yourself back, acknowledging that yeah, it's fun to be over there, but I really need to be here. There's a time and a place for letting our minds wander. But if I'm practicing and I want to be present, to stay present um, and cultivate mindfulness, clear seeing. So we, we, we are seeing what's actually happening. And then the next one is sila, um, living with integrity, having ethics, showing up in a way that's, that doesn't cause harm and is, cultivates harmony uh, with each other, with ourselves when we live with integrity, we have harmony, internal harmony and external harmony. I think that's really important. And then something that uh, Aaron brought out when in his talk, he talked about um, the beauty that you can see when you are um, living an ethical life, living with integrity. You can actually take joy in saying, I'm actually a good person. Allow that. It's not egotistical. It's not narcissistic. It's actually acknowledging, you know what? It's I'm I'm a nice person. I I try not to cause harm. I live in a way that I want to make it safe for others to be around me. He said, really um see the beauty in this way of life, which is really lovely. I, I like that a lot. Um so you have this ethics and beauty this place um, you steady the heart the calming of samadhi and then showing up in the world with ethics and acknowledging the beauty that is, is present and then panya is wisdom is clear seeing wise understanding seeing the nature of suffering and seeing the nature of suffering in our world as we move through it today, understanding the suffering. I think that's one of the reasons why Bhikkhu Bodhi talks about, you know, um, um, economic and racial dysfunction because it is the root of so much suffering in our world, in the world we inhabit in the U.S. or U.S. adjacent. 
um, it's it's important to see clearly what's going on. It's so easy to be deluded because you know Mars out there throwing his crap everywhere, building up this greed, hatred, and delusion, fostering the flames, and it takes a willingness to see. Um, that greed and hatred and delusion is present. Um, be willing to see that there is everything is impermanent. We're not going to get that solution that fixes everything. That it's all going to pass. That um, we're conditioned beings, and then there is life is unsatisfactory. There is dissatisfaction in our lives. It's never going to be perfect, and it's no one's fault. That's really important, especially in the world we're, we're working through right now. It's not anybody's fault. It's just this conditioning and, and blaming, blaming someone. When I say it's not anybody's fault, sitting here and blaming and just saying, you know, it's, that's not going to get us anywhere. So to recognize that, um, a lot of this stuff, just shit just happens. Um, so to put these all together, oh, and then wise intention, you know, make that intention to move through the world with goodwill, really important, um, loving kindness and letting go of that, which doesn't serve renunciation is a part of intention, seeing how this stuff that I'm attached to really is dear to me causes suffering. To me, causes suffering to others. How can I live without it? Can I live in a way that I don't need that? And a lot of times, when you when you move through renunciation, you see that um, uh, you have a shift, a shift in perspective, which is what a lot of this is. It's a shift in perspective uh, to see things differently. Oh, that that causes a lot of harm. Maybe I can just let it go because it's that ties in with sila and living a life of integrity and not causing harm. So you see these things all support each other as we move through it. So um, we build this practice, not just meditation, that's just an eighth of it. But this practice builds this this um, um, capacity, this resilience to move through the world and deal with whatever's happening. And so. Um, sometimes we get lost for a while. Sometimes it's really painful for, and, and fear grips us because it's, we live in a fearful world. We live in a society that fosters fear. And so to recognize that, you know, that's, I think, I see you, Mara. I see the fear and acknowledge it. We don't have to hide from any of these things. We don't have to hide from fear. We don't have to hide from anger. We don't have to hide from grief. There's a lot of grief right now. There's a lot of loss. There's a lot of mourning to acknowledge it. And there's a lot of joy to acknowledge that too. So to, to, to build some capacity to recognize and move through it. And I heard a, I heard a quote today. I, I, there's a thing called the anti-racist table, which are these two sisters who put together this really amazing 30-day anti-racist challenge where it's a real in-depth, um, I'm on day four, it's an in-depth um, education about um, the history of the United States and its racist past. And um, 
I've read a lot, but this is going really into detail. They each day they send out a link to some videos and some readings and some 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 um, points of uh, reflection. And I um, today I was watching some videos about I think around the the Montgomery bus boycott and then the um, uh, the march in Selma. And there was one quote from Martin Luther King at the end. It was just a few seconds. And this was after the March on Selma when they were all beaten on the bridge. And he was talking about fear because he got death threats all the time. I mean, that's the thing where we're intimidated. And he said this thing that I don't know if I've heard this quote before, but I found it very powerful, especially dealing around with fear. He said, I would rather die on the highways of Alabama then make a butchery of my conscience. I still get a, a chill when I when I think about that. That that and he he I think he had a sense that he wasn't going to live long because what was he thirty six when he was assassinated, and he was in his twenties or maybe he was later than that when Montgomery uh, Selma happened. Um, yeah, he was in his twenties um, back in Montgomery in the fifties. So. That that dedication to living a life of integrity, the conscience, knowing what's right, knowing what needs to be done, taking accountability. That's that's, you know, showing up and saying this is what needs to be done and acknowledging. Now, this is graduate level, postgraduate level, what he said. It's like John Lewis, all the stuff he would talk about is postgraduate level work. Um, that's something that I aspire to. I can be a really big chicken a lot of the time because fear. And so this practice actually does help to displace fear because all we have is right here, right now, right here, right now. And the, and, and this, um, practice of equanimity is trusting in awareness and trusting the unfolding. I mean, we're all going to die. That's why I have a skeleton here, just to remind me that I'm going to die. And uh, to just, I'm talking this way because it's an aspiration for me, just to see where I am caught up in um, fear or caught up in craving, caught up in aversion, and be willing to... um, be supported by these teachings so I can navigate and do what needs to be done to end suffering as I can. I was talking to somebody yesterday who, oh, a woman that I'm on a board with and she was in the, she was in Mississippi and in the South in the sixties doing voter registration. And she was talking about, I can't remember what she was talking about, but she was saying we all can do different things in our own way. Um, uh, do what you can with what you have and the time you have in the place you have in the place you are. That's, you know, but be true, be true to um, what we believe, be true to our, our, um, our ethics. So to be true to ourselves as we move through this. Anyway, those are my thoughts on not having a topic. Um, it's actually my reflections on what's going on today. How does this practice hold us? How do we deal with what's coming up for ourselves? Because so much, you know, this 
the world today brings up so much. How do we move through it? There's no right or wrong answer as far as the actions I must take or the actions you must take. I think we just have to um, see for ourselves. The Buddha said it, ahipasiko, see for yourself uh, what makes sense. But how are you using, I use the Eightfold Path as a guide. That's it's it hasn't hasn't done me wrong yet. It's it's guided me really well and has given me a sense of ease, um, even in difficulty. Um, there's a sense of ease, even in fear, even in 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 grief, even in sadness. Um, allows me to feel joy, even when the world is in chaos. There is joy and the happiness, and that's important not to lose that. That's incredibly important to recognize that. So um, those are my thoughts. I totally forgot. I have a poem um, I, to show. I am not a huge poetry person, but I, I saw this the other day. I don't know how I found it, um, but it's a, short, it's a short poem. It's by Joy Harbo. She, I think that's her name, uh, Joy Harjo. She is the poet laureate of the United States, and she's an indigenous woman. And she uh, wrote this poem on fear. And I'm going to show her reciting it because she she actually it's more of a performance of her poem. And she she it's I couldn't do it justice. So I want to I want to share that. Thank you. This poem is a poem to get rid of fear, and it works. I have before and after pictures. <laughs> I release you, my beautiful and terrible fear. I release you. You are my beloved and hated twin, but now I don't know you as myself. I release you with all the pain I would know at the death of my children. You are not my blood anymore. I give you back to the soldiers who burned down my home, beheaded my children, raped and sodomized my brothers and sisters. I give you back to those who stole the food from our plates when we were starving. I release you, fear, because you were born, and I was born with eyes that can never close. I release you. I release you. I release you. I release you. I am not afraid to be angry. I am not afraid to rejoice. I am not afraid to be hungry. I am not afraid to be full. I am not afraid to be black. I am not afraid to be white. I am not afraid to be hated. I am not afraid to be loved, to be loved, to be loved, fear. Oh, you have choked me, but I gave you the leash. You have gutted me, but I gave you the knife. You have devoured me, but I laid myself across the fire. I take myself back, fear. 
You are not my shadow any longer. I won't hold you in my hands. You can't live in my eyes, my ears, my voice, my belly, or my heart. 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 Come here, fear. I am alive. And you are so afraid of dying. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.